Happy Halloween, citizens of Gotham, and welcome to The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast focusing on all things the Dark Knight and his world. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and X at TFRBatPod. And if you have thoughts, questions, comments, or even suggestions for future episodes of the show, you can reach us by email. Just shoot those emails to TFRBatPod at gmail.com. My name is Eric Carter, and I am your host, and I am joined for this spooky season episode by my co-host, Mr. Joseph Fornerado. Joe, how are you, buddy? Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, Eric. What's going on? Oh, we are uh, we are deep into spooky season. I'm, I'm kind of sad because it's almost over at this point. We just had we're we're almost into those last few days, um, so I'm trying to squeeze everything that I can into our scarathon, as well as trying to read as much as I can. And I'm gonna I'm gonna fall well short of everything that I wanted to get in, but that's you know that's the case every year. So what are you gonna do? Yeah, I'm in the same boat. We're less than a week away now, and I have not. I sent you my list of like things I still haven't watched. And I'm so bummed because even after I sent you that list, I'm like, oh no, I forgot something else. Oh no, I forgot something else. And yeah, reading, yep. I actually have done a much more reading than I expected. Not Batman related, but you know, complete tangent. I got really into the walking dead the last few days and I started rereading. Hey, you were telling me about a that. Lot of fun. Yeah. I haven't read that in a couple of years. And then, um, you know, that on top of reading uh, what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, absolutely. And so, Ryan Lauer, shout out to the Batman book club because he's been posting a lot of really cool Batman Halloween content Mm -hmm. so far as reading and some of the stuff I've never heard of before in my life. So I'm really excited to dive into that. Hopefully, I don't know if I'll get it done this spooky season, but I've created myself a list maybe for next year that I'll dive into because this year was more focused on movies I've never seen for spooky season so we'll we'll get into that next year but i'm glad you brought up books because we are covering a book today um but before we get there we do want to make sure that we mention our partner sponsor here on tfr and that's of course the great folks at organic priced books now if you've been listening for a while in the last few months you know that we've partnered with them to bring you some savings on some deluxe editions absolute editions oversized hardcovers omnibus however you like to read your physical comics in collected form you can go to organicpricebooks.com with the link in the description of this video make sure you use that link and you can use our promo codes. The first is TFR Bat Pod, and that saves you $2 off of any order. And then our second, TFR Bat Pod, ship it together, saves you 5% on your total order of three or more books. So make sure you go over to Organic Price Books. They're a great small business that likes to save you money. And in the process, you can support this show while you do so. Now, I know I just got, and I don't even know if you've ever heard of this book before, Joe. I recently got Moonshine, the the complete collected edition. It's an image comic, wonderful prohibition era kind of gangster werewolf story. Mm-hmm. And oh. it's awesome. So I uh, don't know if you've ever heard of it, but just got that from Organic Price Books. It's, it's still on sale there if you're interested. Uh, but yeah, they cover Marvel, DC, IDW, Image. All the big brands are there and available for you. Have you ever heard of Moonshine? Jeff? No, not until you, I, I I don't know if you posted about it or just told me about it, but uh, no, I had never heard about it, but that's right up your alley with the werewolf stuff and, you know, being uh, the, the gangster uh, prohibition era sounds pretty interesting to me. And then the, the werewolf thing kind of threw me for a loop, but it's definitely interesting. Definitely something that's probably worth checking out. Yeah, it's kind of just, and this is a tangent, but it kind of, it is prohibition era. So there's like, there's like gangsters in uh, the city. I think it, mm. I don't know if it references which city, but it's it's I, it's clearly New York. Um, they send someone down to the south for moonshine because, of mm. course, it's prohibition. Yeah. And uh, the guy who goes down there finds a little more than he bargained for when he's trying to to hustle these these bootleggers. So it becomes very interesting and gets very horrifying. Um, it's a limited series, or is it a trade? So it was a long running comic. So oh, okay. I can't remember how many issues exactly, but this book collects the entire story. Nice. Um, it's a very, very good story. But either way, make sure you go to Organic Price Books, guys. Support them and support us while you're doing it. And we greatly appreciate everyone who already has. 
Uh, but Joe, let's get into the main event that we're here to talk about today. And that is, of course, this is our third and final entry. This is our third straight Halloween uh, episode, and we are covering the finale of the Red Rain or Batman Dracula trilogy, Crimson Mist. Okay, Joe, so I don't know if you knew this or not, um, but we have a habit of covering anniversaries on this show. <laughs> and this one happened unintentionally. We didn't plan it. But this book was released in 1998, which makes it 25 years old this year. Oddly, it was released in December of 1998. Uh, kind Ooh. of a... kind. Of, Kind of a, uh, I was just listening to Disorder today and they were talking about how the Haunted Mansion in 03 was released in November. Oddly. Oh, gee, I didn't know that. I thought it was a summer. That's, that's crazy. And this, and this year's Haunted Mansion was released in June. Yeah. So Pete or, or July, August, something like that. It was summertime, mm-hmm. but either way, it seems like some of these companies have a hard time getting books and movies out that are spooky in October. You think mm-hmm. it would be a no brainer. Um, but yeah, 1998. So 25 years old. Did you realize that? No, I did not. I didn't even look to see when this was released. Um, I just knew we were covering it because we covered the first two books and, um, I didn't even have a chance. I'm sorry to say, I didn't even have a chance to reread, uh, Red Rain or, um, uh, crap, what's the Bloodstorm. Yeah. I didn't even have a chance to reread those. I know them pretty well. I've read them both. I think a couple times. Um, this one we'll get into when we when we start about my um, about when the first time I read this was and all that kind of stuff because uh, I have some thoughts and I have some some uh, some uh, I, I don't even know where to start so I'll, I'll let you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough. So yeah, 1998, December of 98, this was released, and to your point, um, you were talking about you didn't know when it was released. The creators, I don't even think they were going to get here because they didn't plan on anything other than one book. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the sales from Red Rain prompted them to to do a second, to do Bloodstorm. Um, and then they thought, so Kelly Jones and Doug Minch, they thought this was going to be, the, the Bloodstorm was going to be it. And then the sales from that were so good that DC wanted another. So they did do Crimson Mist and... We'll get there, but they absolutely made sure at the end of this that this was going to be the end of the trilogy. (laughs) Um, Well, they probably thought that after the second one. Yes, but they left themselves a little bit of of an out, which fits into vampire lore. We'll get into that. Um, I'll tell you what, I would love to see a fourth one after the way this one ended. Find a way. (laughs) Because that's what I said after the second one. I'm like, how do they continue this? And they found a way. So you never know. So, uh, yeah, like I said, um, Minch and Jones thought Bloodstorm would be the last of the story because they were both going to work on the monthly Batman titles. and But it sold above expectations. Um, so they brought them back to do it again. And interestingly, um, Les Dorscheid had colored Jones's art in the first two books, but he was unavailable and was replaced by Gregory Wright in this one. Mm-hmm. And the colors were actually done digitally this time. Mm-hmm. which I didn't I didn't realize that was a thing either. But if you look at the first two books and then look at this one, it does have a little bit of a different look to it so far as the colors. Um, so that would explain why. Um, Minch knew that Crimson Mist was going to be the conclusion of this story. Um, and so having having said that, he felt it was going to be the hardest and he needed to end on a very unsettling note to end this trilogy, which I think he accomplished. He started on an unsettling note in this book for the most part. I mean, this this doesn't really have many uh, peaks and valleys, or but yeah, right, yeah. So (laughs) let's get into the story itself for Batman Crimson Mist. Um, So at the end of Bloodstorm, we know that um, Batman has he's finally taken a life as a vampire. He killed the Joker, drained him of his blood, so he feels like he's tainted now. And he takes the only recourse he thinks he has, and he has Gordon and Alfred stake him and the heart. So by all intents and purposes, we think this is the end of Vampire Batman. 
But we start with this book. We we see that you know Batman is staked in the in the crypt below the brownstone, and um, we find out that maybe it's not a true death because we're we're seeing thoughts at the beginning of the book from Batman where he's kind of in a purgatory type state. Wouldn't you say that's that's kind of what it is? I lo- I'll be honest with you. This is my favorite part of the book because I love it's like a um he calls it a um conscious state of death where like he is aware of everything mm-hmm. that's going on like he it's almost like he's trapped in his own body but he's not physically there um right sadly it's kind of like someone who is um oh, what's the word I'm looking for like some like in a vegetative are, state almost. yes exactly that's what it reminded me of and I I've, I've had like uh experiences with that where it's it's devastating but like in in this case like obviously it's more of a um spiritual thing and i do think that is my most intriguing um it's the most intriguing part of the book to me and it's definitely the most interesting like they had to find a way to start the book and i think that is such a brilliant way to start it if you have to find a way for him to come back you start it basically by him never really being truly dead because it's like as a vampire, you are never truly dead. That's pretty much what he's trying to find out because he wasn't mm-hmm. ever truly gone. He was aware of everything going on around him, even in his quote unquote death. And as we get into the story, he's trying to figure out if that's even possible to die now. And he's wondering if it's possible, what can, what can break that? And, and yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. You've read this prior to today, right? You've, you've read these multiple times. I'm assuming. Oh yeah. I read them every year for, for spooky season. Okay. So I swore I read this last year. Like I, <laughs> I remember you telling I, me this. I swore I read it last year after we we did um, Bloodstorm and Bloodstorm. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, I started reading this book and I was about 30 to 40 pages in and I'm like, I have no recollection of this whatsoever. But I do kind of remember the ending with two v with two phase and all that, the confrontation in the cave. I remember most of that. So I don't know what the heck was going through my mind when I read it last year that like I didn't grasp it or it didn't um I don't know if it didn't connect or it just didn't resonate but for whatever reason I had very little rem- um memory of everything prior to the final confrontation. And I don't know how because it's pretty bonkers <laughs> even before yes, that final confrontation. So I'm not convinced I did read this last year or I was just not in the right state of mind when I did read it. Who the hell knows? But man, what a. It's I a mean, ride. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm not. This is going to sound really bad. I remember hearing years ago with South Park that Matt Stone and Trey Parker didn't want to make the show anymore. So they just kept making it as bad as possible to hope that the ratings went down and the ratings just mm-hmm. kept going up and up. I felt like that's what was happening with this third book. Like mention Kelly, we're done writing this story. And they were like, let's just make the craziest thing ever. So nobody likes it. And we'll never be asked to do another one again. And it uh, still sold well. Uh, yeah. <laughs> be, uh, it, Cause it's, and to your credit, you've always said the Elseworlds story, the Elseworlds, Elseworlds title is where you should go this crazy. You yeah. couldn't do, you definitely couldn't do anything near this in continuity, but even for Elseworlds standards, this book is crazy, but I, I don't hate it. I just, it's just not for me, but man, I just love how crazy it is because it's like, Oh, you thought he was bad to kill one, you know, one villain in the, in the second one. And that was like the end of Batman's crusade because he couldn't take it. He had killed the Joker and took his blood. And I don't know if they're trying to say that now because the Joker is a part of him. He, there's no turning back because he actually has Joker blood in him. Is that what I'm taking from that? So that there is it that's mentioned close to yeah. the beginning of the book because, and, and let's, let's go through the story a little more before we get there. Um, so Alfred, obviously he's, he's full of remorse, even though he knows what Batman now is mm-hmm. um, he's full of remorse. We, we get, conversations between him and Gordon about that and whether they did the right thing or not. Um, But the problem that Gordon is now facing in Gotham is without Batman 
it's be, it's gone back to what Gotham was before Batman, except now you have all these, you have the freaks, right? You have the, yep. the rogues gallery without a Batman to counteract them. Um, you have Scarecrow on a warpath. You have Penguin. You have Riddler. You have all these different villains who are out on the streets and just doing these horrible things. And there's no, there's no checkpoint for them because the GCPD can't control them. So Gordon and Alfred talk about you know the possibility of of bringing batman back and alfred takes it upon himself to pull the stake out of batman's heart and before that to your point about joker there's there's a mention of and i can't remember if it's before or after he pulls the stake out but he talks about joker's tainted blood pumping through his heart yeah i thought that was batman is a batman inner monologue right where yeah um i believe so i thought it was afterwards um it was and I don't know. Maybe it was like a justification on his part, but it was before he went really far. Like it was early in the book. Mm-hmm. I did want to ask you: does, Was the Riddler ever in the first two books? All the villains in this were just introduced in this book, right? Pretty sure, yeah, yeah. Because like Joker, Riddler... I think Joker was the first big bad we heard of yeah. in this series because obviously Dracula was the main villain in the first. Yeah, so then the second one was Joker, and then I think there was crime bosses. Because Harvey Dent wasn't even in the second one, right? No, the, the introduction we get to Harvey Dent is in this book yeah. because they go through the the general Har- Harvey Dent story of the acid in the yes. face. and like a very condensed version. He's instantly like the, crazy. <laughs> yes, and I felt like the Riddler kind of came out of nowhere in this for some reason. Like, it was just like, there he was. and like Well, Pink, Penguin as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the Penguin was kind of set up, though, as a villain, like an unknown villain, where the Riddler, like, they're just reading a riddle one day, and like, it was just kind of like there yeah um but again like it's they're trying to rush through a story here they're trying to like fit in as many villains as possible give a little bit of a not a backstory necessarily but to to put you into the world that gordon and alfred are trying to consider what to do here and so they do a quick rundown of all these villains and i will say i love that alfred and gordon are basically the two main characters you're telling this story is being told through their eyes you do get the batman monologues too um, you get his perspective, but it's mainly through Alfred and and Gordon. Well, yeah, and everything that happens is a consequence of their actions. Yes. So whether it be that you know Batman is now dead, that's their action, and the choice to bring him back also has a, a ton of consequences because Batman tells Alfred when he's pulled the stake out, you know. You should have basically he tells him and I'm paraphrasing, you should have left me as I was. And now you're never going to get the chance again Um, because he's not he's not going to allow them, um, whether it's, you know, instinct to survive or whatever. He's he's not going to allow them to stake him again, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And he goes on a war path now because he can't fight. And now that he's taking the Joker's blood, he can't fight the the urge to feed as a vampire, but he focuses it towards all of these villains in Gotham. And I believe, does he start with Scarecrow? I believe it was Scarecrow and the Riddler, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it was Scarecrow first. And he says, you should have, (laughs) he says, you should have taken my head or you didn't take my head. You fool. Um, Cause he just, yeah, which the, I will say, which going back to vampire lore, as I mentioned earlier, I know that they did the stake in the second book, but they gave themselves an out there whether they intended to or not. Because if you go back to like head. Dracula yeah. mythology, mm-hmm. you got to stake them, you got to cut off the head. And there, yeah. and <laughs> I guess if you even wanted to go further, um, they even have in some versions you have to burn the body after that. Sometimes yeah. you have to stick garlic in the mouth, things like that. <laughs> so Oh, so, so the penguin is first. Yeah. yeah. They, he kills the penguin first. Mm-hmm. Um, right through his neck, rips his head off. I mean, he's decapitating everyone in this book. Like, So, okay, if, if for some reason you're listening to this episode and you haven't read this book, um, it's going to sound crazy enough where you might want to read it afterwards because it's so crazy. Like the stuff we're going to be talking about. If for some reason you felt like reading it, like listening to us before you read it, I honestly like 
if you heard what was in this book, you'd have to read it. Like there's, it's so yeah. crazy and they do a good, like, again, it, it's, you just have to kind of go with it because I love how this is not any story that you will read anywhere else. This is just going to be here. It is such a, we're so far beyond where Batman was in red rain, where he was, constantly fighting with himself on what he wanted to do and how he was going to handle this to now. And even in um, Bloodstorm Storm, yeah. where he was conflicted. Now you could tell there's a little bit of conflict there, but he can't overcome it in the least. Oh, and he's off the leash completely. Yes, there is, he's just accepted his quote unquote evil side, I guess. And he's, I will say he's still only killing villains. Yes. And I like the part where um, with where they set up in the beginning, he said, you should have taken my head. He he decapitates everybody at this book, as you said, but I like the reasoning for him doing that is because he doesn't want to be Dracula. He doesn't want a horde of the undead. So Mm -hmm. he is he's feeding on these villains, but he's also decapitating them so they don't come back. Yeah, he's feeding on them because he needs to, but he's doing it. He's still on his crusade, I guess you could call it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he, I mean, I will say it gets a little, not repetitive, but at some point, like you, you the, the first part of the book is him just going around killing all the villains. I mean, mm-hmm. that's essentially what it is, is he goes to Arkham and he just kills everyone at Arkham. And he basically relieves a letter for Jeremiah saying like, you're not needed anymore. Like, your job's you done yeah, and jeremiah going. arkham is just like cool thank yeah. you yeah <laughs> i enjoyed that yeah. and i like the um kind of jumping around a little bit i like the callback to the first book i refer to her as like the leslie thompson character leslie Tompkins character it's not though it's a um, arianne yes okay i couldn't remember her name because she's not a character from the comics as far as i know unless she's from like a justice league dark book or something but she's yeah, if, more of if she like, is i'm not aware of it yeah she's more of like the the vampire expert that he goes to but she's more of an occult expert and that's what she basically tells him she's like i don't know what you're trying to come to me for i can't really help you because i'm not really an expert on this stuff like nobody is basically like she's like this is this is way beyond anything that any of us have really gotten into so well, i, I, I love like that. that i love that he's trying to get answers from her Mm-hmm. And the first thing she asks him is, is my life in danger? Yeah. And he pretty much tells her, if you annoy me, I mean, and that's <laughs> not exactly what he says, but it sounds yeah. like that, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but yeah, so he, he goes on this war path. As you mentioned, he goes and cleans out Arkham. Um, and it comes to a point where there's this conflict in the book where he even acknowledges I'm running out of victims. What happens when mm-hmm. I've run through all the villains? Um, will I feel that urge to, you know, create a horde. Will I, will I start taking brides? So to your point, even though this is a Batman who has completely lost his way, he's given into the urges of being a vampire. Bruce Wayne himself is still conflicted over, Mm -hmm. over what he's becoming. And and if there's a way to stop it, because he's asking Arianne, you know, is there a true death for vampires? Is there a way for me to end this? So he does want it to end, but he's just purely driven on instinct right now. Um, and it gets to a point where, uh, you know, Alfred and Gordon know that they have to somehow stop this and it comes to a team up between Alfred and Gordon and two face and killer croc in this story who, and, and killer comes croc to them, correct. Then comes to Gordon and Alfred. Yeah. Cause he makes them an offer to help yes. them eradicate the Batman. Mm-hmm. Um, and Killer Croc in this story might be the most terrifying Killer Croc I've ever <laughs> seen because he is purely, I mean, like he's snatching women off the street and eating them in the sewer, yeah. picking them clean to the bone. And he just has no, he has no moral compass whatsoever, which I guess kind of fits with the rest of the ver- these versions of the villains. Yeah, they're not conflicted villains at all. Um, I will, I wanted to ask you, what happens to Poison Ivy in this book? She just kind of vanishes. She's not killed, right? I thought she was killed by Batman because the poison his her poison didn't affect Batman. Oh, so that killed her. I'm pretty sure I couldn't he, find it. I'm pretty sure he fed on her, didn't he? Oh, maybe I could I, be wrong. Maybe I just don't remember that part. Um, 
you're right though i remember that i remember you know the poison not affecting him but i didn't catch what exactly happened to her after that point but yeah killer croc i mean even two-face like he's just pure evil like he's there's no yeah. conflict with him like he's got the coin but I don't know. He's so he did. He did feed on on poison ivy. I just saw it in the book. Okay. So at that final page, you don't see him behead her, but I'm assuming because yeah. he has with everybody else. Okay. And Victor Zaz's death in this is probably the most brutal. Like he just rips open his chest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like there's men. If this was a movie, <laughs> even well, an animated movie. But there's so many nods to the actual Batman lore as well because you know he he, he brings up the the body count that Zaz has and the marks. Mm-hmm. So when yep. he tears open his body, he says one final mark for you, yep. Zaz. Yep. Um so yeah, he's he's gone through almost everybody he can go through. It's really only Dent and Killer Croc and right. his and their crew remaining. Mm-hmm. So Gordon and Alfred finally realize they have to come to a pact with these two and they have to formulate a plan to finalize and kill Batman. Um, so they figure out that Batman has been going back to the ruins of rain Wayne Manor, um, to the bat caves themselves. And they decide this is where they're going to make their final stand against Batman. They're going to set up explosives and they're basically going to kill him with sunlight. They're going to draw him into the sun with Alfred as bait kind of, and they're going to kill him that way. But of course it's a double cross in the end because Mm -hmm. after they think they've staked and killed Batman, Two Face double crosses Gordon and uh, Alfred, which who didn't see that coming? Yeah, and you got to assume even now uh, Gordon had to have seen it coming. Yeah, he didn't want to make this alliance anyway, but they really were kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. Well, and- he even says he says, you know, I, I knew he was going to double cross this. I just didn't think it was going to be this soon. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I think one of the most disturbing parts of the book for me. And it's just because of how much we love these characters. When you come to the final conclusion of uh, Gordon and Alfred have to have to now stop uh, Two-Face and Croc. So Alfred makes the decision that he needs to sacrifice himself and give his blood to Batman Mm -hmm. so that Batman has the strength after he's been staked again to take on Croc and Two-Face. And man, that's just sad <laughs> to me. It's a bummer. It is. And as sad as that is, because again, he has to decapitate him too. Like, it's not like he's just feeding on him and then that's it. Like, you know, Alfred is dead. Like, he has to kill Alfred, which is just sad because Alfred has just felt like he's failed Bruce from day one in this storyline. Um, hasn't been able to help him at all. And it's Alfred's way of saying, like, this is my last chance to help you. And I've, I, and he, like, you, you feel for Alfred. You, it's almost like he just can't live with himself anymore anyway. So it's mm-hmm. like, I'm okay with this. I'm accepting this. If this helps you, this is my only chance at being honorable when I die. And it is emotional. Like, in a book that is just completely bonkers and, and off the wall, it is an emotional moment. You, you know, we love Alfred as a character just from reading any Batman book, let alone just these three books, you know, Alfred is still a good written, a well-written character. And then on top of that, after that, you get the worst possible death for Gordon. Like there is nothing nice about Gordon's death at all. It's for nothing. I mean, like at least Alfred gets kind of a, a heroic death. Gordon just dies because he can't get out. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's part of, of what Minch was talking about when he wanted the ending to be unsettling. Oh, because yeah. at the end, at the end, you have nothing. You have nothing. no Batman. You have no villains. You have no Gordon. You have no Alfred. It's yeah. just the, you basically, the story, the characters that we all know and love, they're gone. Yeah. It is completely, it's, it is completed. There is no everyone. You can't wonder what comes next because there is literally no next for any of them. No, but I will say the part that I really like about the ending here is post feeding on Alfred. So he does, he does feed on Alfred. He decapitates him. I I appreciate the fact that they didn't need to draw that. You Mm -hmm. know, you get the inference, you see Alfred severed head, but but yeah, you don't see him actually doing it. You don't see him feeding on Alfred. You don't see him taking his head. So I appreciate that. Um, I also appreciate the fact that after 
he feeds on Alfred, there's no more need for him to to feed on anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, he's using this as his final stand. He's make he's making Alfred sacrifice to him the final blood he's going to take. And you could also argue that him getting that good blood mm-hmm. counteracted maybe the Joker. Yes, where like he yeah. becomes a good person, you know, or mo- a good monster, if you will, like for a little bit enough to do the right thing at that point. Yeah, but I mean, even though he d- he doesn't take any more blood, it does not make it any nicer what he does to Croc and Two Face, because he drives like a huge piece of the cave, like a stalactite into Croc's chest <laughs> to kill him. And then he takes two of the arrows, two of the wooden arrows that they were hunting Batman with and like jams them in each side of Two-Face's head, which mm-hmm. I appreciate the fact that they they did the twos <laughs> even up to the end. You know, yep. he said two bolts for you, Two-Face, and just jammed them in each side of his head. Um, but then in the end, I mean, he's even trying at the end, he's trying to get Gordon out of the cave. So there's some altruism here for Batman, even though he's completely damned at this point. Like he's, he's trying to make at least one right and it just can't happen um, because of the cave, there's no escape for, for Gordon. Um, Gordon gets squished by falling cave debris and killed. And then Batman makes the decision himself, much like uh, Tanya in the first book to step into the light and destroy himself. Um, which I like I like the ending that it's on Batman's terms. Like he's not being staked and beheaded. He's making a choice to end himself at this point. Which I appreciate. I like that part. Yeah. And and I actually forgot that he he has that conflicting moment with Gordon where he basically is blaming Gordon for mm. him being alive and he's saying, like, this is your now last choice. Like, either kill me or I'm going to kill you. Um, I'm gonna make you just like me or he says basically something to that effect where uh, kill me or join me become me and if you do no one will ever stop us like he's to the last minute he is still conflicted he's still trying to figure out what to do with this Um, and i didn't take that as he was conflicted i took that as he was laying out the worst possible scenario trying to as hard as he could to get to to drive any doubt out of gordon's mind and again that's very possible too yeah that's probably more likely because he hasn't been conflicted, so why all of a sudden now would he be? Um, yeah. But yeah, it, it, Gordon's death is rough because, um, you know, Batman basically gets him to to detonate the cave and and bury the, him down there and, and, you know, bury everything down there, whatever. And um, it's a shame that Gordon can't get out. Like, there's no way for him to get out. And um, the his death is, is pretty brutal. I mean, it's, you know, there's... We get a book full of decapitations and, and, you know, just feeding and all this. But in a book where you're rooting for the good guys, to me, the worst death is Gordon's because it's the one that you see and how brutal it is for someone that we love. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, and to be honest with you, the most peaceful death in the book is Batman's. Mm-hmm. I mean, even though he's, you know, he's being burned alive, I, I, you don't know how that works for a vampire. I mean, he... I don't know if he was in agony or not because I mean he was cool with it. He was ready to go. Yeah. I I really like the the final page of the book because it um it's almost like a callback to the death of Superman where you've mm. got the cape fluttering yep. on the post. Definitely that you've, imagery. Yeah, you've got the cape and cow fluttering on a piece of the cave. And it's it's really a, a true ending for this trilogy. Um so there's the story. We've we've come to the end of the story here. And also, um, so on the last page, you get that imagery, and then you get Alfred's head just there. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's that, a pretty, you know, I they done want, without that. If I'm honest, <laughs> yeah, but I, I get it because they. It's almost like their way of saying this is Alfred's story. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, um, I did want to talk about because, of course, we can't talk about these stories without talking about the art from Kelly Jones. Um, so much like Batman is completely off the chain in this book. I think Kelly Jones was completely off the chain with his art in this book because Batman looks terrifying in every part of this book. Um, And I've told you this before because I really enjoy Kelly Jones for this style of book. He doesn't fit every version of Batman for me, but for this kind of work, for the story they're telling, I love it. Um, 
it's just so funny to me. And I've mentioned it in the other books, but there are certain characters that Kelly Jones does that do not look the same on any given page. Hmm. And in this book, and I've said it before in the others, but Alfred is one of the glaring examples because sometimes Alfred has like gigantic chipmunk cheeks and sometimes he does not. You're right. Sometimes he even looks like Sinestro. Like I'm looking at some of the books now, like some of the, like, yeah, I guess because my focus is always on Batman, because if there are, let's say for argument's sake, there are 200 panels of Batman in this book. Mm -hmm. Kelly Jones draws 200 different versions of Batman. Yeah. Like every, and that's completely intentional that like the Alfred stuff is probably whatever his, his depiction of Batman in this book is intentionally different every single time and towards the end when he's conversing with gordon is when he looks the most human which i actually really appreciate that was had to have been completely intentional you almost get the classic bat suit there are times there's there you don't even get the bat suit in most of this book and then out of nowhere you see the bat suit you see a, a cowl it's very traditional in that one scene well my favorite panel of the book is the, the panel where after he's staked and Alfred's going to go basically to his rescue when he pulls him out of the depths of the cave, mm-hmm. like yes, most of Bat- most of Batman's in silhouette, right but it looks like classic Batman in that one shot. His face is covered. His yeah. face is covered by his arm. So you're getting classic Batman. Totally, completely agree. I just happened to be on that page when you were talking about it. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like those are the pages where like he really does look more and i think that's intentional when he's looking when he's acting the most human he's depicting them as the most human in that form but some of the animalistic stuff is so cool i mean you see him literally just as a bat in some uh sections the skeletal look in some sections i mean he is literally drawn differently in every panel which is really cool for this type of story i think it fits so well yeah, absolutely. I think he killed it on this book. I love that. I actually love that he looks different all the time because it reminds me of other vampire stories. Kind of like, well, if you watch Bram Stoker's Dracula with Gary Oldman, yeah, almost every scene in that movie, Oldman looks different. Mm-hmm. So it kind of fits that that multi changing facet to a vampire and the changing into animal form that fits vampire lore. So yep. yeah, I I I like the depiction of Batman in this book and the way he was drawn because it's. It's scary as hell. I'm not going to lie about that. Mm-hmm. Um, one one part of the book that you and I were talking about, and I was talking to Ryan Lauer earlier at, while we're on art, this book has such a fascinating little feature that wasn't in the other two. And I didn't know if it was just my copy because I bought it from overseas or or what, but I've confirmed now that you've seen it digitally. Ryan said he remembers seeing it before. But there's all these little gothic, like art pieces in the margins of the book. And I don't know why they did it just for this one, but I really like it because it adds kind of to the creepy atmosphere. I mean, Mm -hmm. there's skeletal figures, there's spiders, there's bats. I mean, all kinds of cool little Gothic stuff in the margins, which adds a nice touch to me. And I don't think I had ever noticed it until I read it this, this year for the podcast, but I don't know. I just, I, I don't even think you noticed it while you were reading it until I brought it up. Right. Well, I will say the reason I didn't notice it, and this is completely on me, is I was reading it digitally. I was reading it panel to panel because mm-hmm. I was I was holding the book horizontally because I was sitting with my daughter while she was watching something. So it was just easier for me to read it that way. I kind of just read whatever's convenient at the time. When I read horizontally, I don't like looking at the pages that way, obviously. So I'll do panel to panel so I get more on the, on the page. Oh, okay. So you don't see the margins. Yeah, you don't see the margins when you do panel to panel. And if you do, it's very, very slight. So I just hadn't read it in the proper way to see the the full page. Um, so when you pointed it out and I'm like, I don't remember seeing that. And then I went and looked and I'm like, oh, well, again, now I know what you're talking about. Um, again, not on every page. They, they fit their spots for it. And it's completely random, like the images and stuff. Like really cool, though. Like just a, like you said, a nice stylistic touch that mm-hmm. definitely didn't need to be there. But you love that they obviously... They put it there for a reason because they thought it would be cool or it was just something that maybe they had passion for. And you got to appreciate that. It adds a little bit of atmosphere to it while mm-hmm. you're reading the book. Yeah. Um, there's but one, yeah. Um, I just I got to bring it up while I'm looking at it. When they're in the cave, there's one of it looks like a T-Rex eating somebody. 
<laughs> yeah, like, it's it's it's, it's completely totally random. random. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it's cool. I like it. Yeah. Um. So, as a whole, now that we we've talked about the story, we've talked about the art. Um. As a whole, because I know you've said multiple times this one's a ride. It's bonkers. What are your what are your overall thoughts on Crimson Mist as a story? It's tough because I I don't think it works as a standalone story at all. Um I think you really need to know the world first before you dive into this one. Like you can't dive into this one and just kind of go along for the ride. I think the progression from Red Rain to Bloodstorm to this I would say it's pretty natural, like it, mm-hmm. it or fluent at least. Like they, even despite not having plans, they knew they wanted to up the ante every time, and that's what they did. Like they put Bruce on this this path of just damnation, basically. Like he just keeps going deeper and deeper into this damnation, and I think they do a good job with the the characterization of bruce wayne as this vampire figure what Mm -hmm. i don't think works as well is the villains i think they when i i think i even said that about the joker in the second one i think the reason the first one works so well is it's strictly a dracula story it's a it's a batman dracula story when they tried to fit the the dc villains in it that's where it feels a little unnatural to me i think they i think what would have and again, I, I don't want to say whatever, what they should have done, but I think because I love the first book so much and that didn't have any of that outside stuff, I think they could have cut down on some of the cameos in this one. I think that even with the Joker one, like the, there weren't that many villains introduced in that one. I think the Catwoman stuff was was pretty fair. I think they found a way to introduce the Joker to an extent, but I still think maybe spending too much time on the villain characters, but I guess you kind of need a, I'm kind of like talking out both sides of my mouth. You need villains with names because it has to mean something when Batman kills all these villains. Right. Which I understand, but it's like, they're trying to fit so much into this story that I'm kind of conflicted on that. Um, But again, it's an Elseworlds story. It's supposed to be a fun take on something and they're introducing characters to this world. And I, I get why they're doing it kind of like what we just talked about recently with Gotham, I guess like you're just trying to flesh out the world a little bit. You're trying to put different characters in that world. And I think they do a decent job with it. It just does feel a little quick in the beginning with introducing those villains just for Batman to just kill them off to give an mm-hmm. impact. But if they're no names, do we really care? Right. And and I think so, that's the, that's the major point there is you yeah. need to show, you need to show Batman's depravity at this point, but you yes. want it to make impact. And how do you, how do you do that? If it's just, random thug. thug yeah exactly yeah. so I, again i i'm kind of torn on that but i will say like as the as the capper for this trilogy you have to keep one-upping yourself as you go and i think mm-hmm. they did that uh especially with the characterization of bruce wayne and i think the supporting characters of alfred and gordon being so torn on what's going on in this world that makes it much more interesting too so i i think it's a fun it's a fun trilogy it really is it's but to, I definitely think I, it's hard for me to even like rank the two. Like, obviously, the first one is my favorite. I don't know if I would say this one is better or worse than the sequel mm. because they're they're drastically different. Yeah. So, um, but that's hard. Yeah. So far as as myself, um, I would rank them exactly in release order for me. Um, mm. This is my this is my least favorite of the trilogy, but having said that, I enjoy this greatly as a trilogy. I read yeah. it every spooky season. Uh, to me, this story wouldn't be complete without Crimson Mist. Um, it and as 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 weird as that is, because you could read Bloodstorm and stop with the stake in the heart, and you could just yeah. if you wanted to read those two and just be done. But for me, um, it completes the cycle of what Batman was becoming, mm. and. I don't know. I, I like that story. And for uh, uh, Elseworlds take on Batman where he's just become completely consumed with vampirism, you know, would I want it in continuity? Hell no. But mm-hmm. 
as a standalone, as as a side story on a different Earth, um, with Batman becoming this vampire. Um, I love vampires and I love Batman, so I'll take it all day, every day. Having, but yeah, this this one would be my my least favorite. But at the same time, I look at this as one complete story between the three books. So yeah. I, I can't do the first two without the third. I come back to it every year. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I do really, really like it, just short of loving it. But as a as a complete story, one, two, and three, I love the entire story, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, it does. But I do like what you said, though. Like you said, you can't read. You like reading all three of them together every year. I do mm-hmm. like that you can stop each time, though. You can just read the first one. It's a good, complete story. You could yep. read one and two. It's a good, complete story. Or you could read all three. I don't yep. think it works to read just two by itself or three by itself, but I don't think it has to either. I think to tell a good complete story, you don't need to. You, like, you, you can piggyback off the first and second one, which I think it does well. That's what it's supposed to do. It's it's the capper. Yeah. It's, it's supposed to end that story. And I, I think it does a really good job of that in this yeah. completely off the wall world that this story takes place in. You don't want them to play it safe. You don't want them to do something boring and they're not. They're up in the ante each time. And I think that's really smart. And I think yeah. it, I don't think we'd be talking about this book if it wasn't so crazy. If it was just a normal run of the mill, you know, like, like, let's say Batman comes back and now he's back to being traditional Bruce Wayne. Like he found a way to beat this, you know, vampirism. Like that's boring to me. So I, I appreciate that they did what they did. Yeah, I do too. And I think, um, I think this is a story because it's been released multiple times. It's been in, it's been in two different collected editions um, that I think were both trade paperbacks. Um, there was the Batman Vampire collection, and then there was the Elseworlds. I think it was volume volume two. Volume two. It's the same collection. Yeah, they just renamed it. Um, yes. I wish. See, it's funny because stupid me. Like, I hate that it's in the Elseworlds title volume two because if mm-hmm. I just want this. I hate having because I don't have Elseworlds Volume One on my shelf. I hate that I'd have Elseworlds Volume Two on my shelf right. without one. Um, I wish they would release a new hardcover of the three stories. Um, I am jealous that you have all three in individual hardcover. I think that's really cool, but yeah. I'm just not at the point where I want to get all three of those in in you know separate hardcover. Well, what my hope is because it I think it's overdue. Um, you could absolutely do an oversized collection of this. You could do it as an absolute. It doesn't need to be an omnibus. It's only two. Uh, the digital version that I'm reading is the Elseworlds Volume Two. It's 287 pages. That's you can like make nothing. one absolute out of that. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I don't know if DC would go the absolute route with a story like this because I don't think it's as well known as most of the stories they do absolutes with. But even if they did a deluxe hardcover, 287 pages is nothing. But at the same time, I mean, right here, I mean, it's popular enough that, I mean, you got your own Funko Pop that is out true. of Vampire Batman. You that have him, um, he's appeared over the years, this version, in different stories like Convergence. He was in the Convergence storyline. Um, he's appeared in other little side stories. Mm. I, I can't remember exactly where. He even appeared on Batman the Brave and the Bold very briefly. Oh wow! Um, I didn't know any of that. Okay, yeah, because I had the Funko. I didn't know about the other stuff. It's the episode where Batmite is do is talking to the crowd. Oh, about okay. The yeah, and he and he's going through the different versions of Batman. Yeah, and the Red Rain Batman shows up, and he's like, ah, to Dracula, and <laughs> and it goes to the next one. So yeah, he's appeared in enough places that that tells you. I mean, there's a fan base. These books sold very well. Yeah. Um. And every time they've released it in different editions, because I think the other two, the the Elseworlds Volume Two and the Batman Vampire, I think they're out of print at this point. So I think it's popular enough that it would sell if they did an absolute. Mm-hmm. But even if they just wanted to do a Batman Vampire Deluxe Edition, yeah. that would be cool. So exactly. I, I think I think it is overdue to get it in a collected edition, a hardcover collected edition. But um, so, yeah. So, yeah, we've talked about uh, about the influence a little bit. And I'm trying to remember because I know he showed up in several storylines. Um, in fact, they say I don't know how true it is. They say that the Batman versus Dracula animated film was kind of loosely inspired by Red Rain. Um, makes sense. I mean, it's, yeah. it's similar enough. It's definitely um, similar. There's definitely uh, things taken from it. 
Mm-hmm. Apparently, he showed up in Countdown to Final Crisis. Um, because they were looking at all these different Earths. This is Earth 43, apparently, <laughs> the Red Rain Batman. Um, and then he was in Convergence, where he took on Swamp Thing, apparently. I've never read that. <laughs> so, no. um, yeah, he showed up here and there over the years. So he's uh, the this version of Batman's definitely left his mark on the on the the mythology of Batman, and I I enjoy that because I really do. As a complete story, I love these three books. So it's fun to me that he continues to pop up over the years. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if we'll ever get any more because they kind of made this a definitive ending. But who knows? You never know. If they think it'll sell, they'll do it. <laughs> Yeah, like maybe a, a long overdue epilogue or something or or another yeah. story that maybe takes place within the trilogy. Who knows? Um, yeah, because clearly if he if he showed up in Convergence and Crisis or, you know, the Countdown to Crisis, clearly it can't be the same Earth because this Batman's dead. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, Joe, I, I, we've covered the story and the art and some of the legacy of, of this version of Batman. Is there anything else you, you wanted to bring up before we wrap it up here on this one? Um, No, I think uh, I think it's been fun doing these, though, because I don't know if I would have ever read these if it wasn't for like the Halloween idea of reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely for the show. I mean, I. Even if it weren't for the show, I still probably would have read them just out of your recommendation or just because, you know, every time you're looking for Batman stuff to read a Halloween and just stuff that maybe, uh, you know, was off my radar when it came out or even over the years. I mean, 25 years old already. And and yet the fact that, you know, these are so sought after. I mean, the hardcovers, you can get the hardcovers for like 25, 30 bucks on eBay each. Mm-hmm. Not terrible um, for something like that. Uh, but to me, I think um, I'm good with the first one as far as like if I was going to read this every year, if I had to pick one, I would I'd be good with the first one. I think there's there's a lot to love about the first one. I think the second and third are great supplemental material for this world, but it's mm-hmm. not something that is a need for me. Gotcha. Um, but I don't re- I don't resent the fact that they're there. It's not hurting yeah. anything that they're there. And I think it is a fun it's a fun um, evolution of the character to go through this world. And I appreciate that we have all this, you know, again, it's that amount, you know, Batman is so malleable. Uh, Again, this is one of the most, this could be the least Batman, Batman story I've ever read, but it's still Batman to its core. Mm -hmm. You know, there's conflict there. There's, at the end of the day, Batman rid Gotham of evil. He didn't do it in the traditional sense that we like seeing. But in the end well, of this book, the end of this trilogy, there is definitively none of the rogues gallery left. And, and to your point there, this might be one of the, the only, only versions ever happened. It's the only version of Batman that wins. Yeah. That accomplishes his goal. So, yep. uh, yeah. It's Unfortunately, he took Alfred and Gordon with him. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, so I think just the final thoughts for me on this is the interesting part about this trilogy of books is I don't think I think about these one time during the year until mm-hmm. spooky season hits. As soon yeah. as Halloween hits, it's like there's a little glow on my bookshelf. It's these <laughs> three books. I've got to yeah. read them every every year for Halloween. The signal um, lights on your shelf. and the, it, the, it does, yeah. You're supposed to breed yeah. meat this month, you know? Yeah. So it's just such a fascinating little thing where, you know, I'll get the, I'll get the urge to read Hush or The Court of Owls multiple times through the years. Yeah. Like, or through the year as it goes. I don't think about these at all until Halloween and then I've got to read it at mm-hmm. Halloween. So it's, it's, it's very niche. It's very in its, in its bubble, but it's something that I look forward to every year for spooky season reading. So I definitely appreciate that the books for that. And I'm a little sad, Joe, that next year we got to figure out something different because we don't have another one of these to do. So well, if we're going to stick to comics, you can thank Ryan Lauer because I'm sure we'll be picking from one of those books that he uh, has been talking about <laughs> recently. Um, for sure. And I got to say, too, while we're on that, 
thankful for the book because like you were talking about the Funko, I have a Funko to display on my mantle at Halloween because that's I, yep. I always put the seasonal Funkos in my living room and I do put the, the Red Rain one up every year. Awesome. Yeah, well, that feels like a that feels like a great place to wrap it up for today, Joe. We've come to our, we've come to our finale of our of our Red Rain trilogy, so we are going to have to figure out something new. This has been automatic Halloween specials for three years in a row, and now we got to do a little work for next maybe, year. Maybe DC will put out something next year for us, and they'll just give us a layup. That'd be nice, right? Well, they put out Halloween specials constantly, so we do have more stuff to do. We just got to figure out what it oh, is. I, I was hoping more um, motion media, maybe. Oh, possibly. That would be possibly. Fun. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, thank you so much, Joe, for for going on this ride for me and reading this wacky bonkers book. Um, I, I hope you got a little bit of enjoyment out of it. It sounds like you did. Uh, but thank you again. And until next time, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you out there on social media? Yeah, I, I definitely did get enjoyment. And it's a painless read. It's less than 100 pages. Um, yeah. It's a pretty quick read. It's it's definitely it fits the season so well. Um, and for someone like me, who's not really crazy about the Dracula stuff or vampire stuff, put v- Batman on it. It's going to get my interest. And that's that's the best part about Batman being this malleable is it brings you to other topics that you might not be interested in as much. It might get you into it a little bit more or at least see if you're interested in it. So I definitely appreciate that. Um, so we will see you guys on the other side of spooky season. Now it'll be uh getting close to, to holiday season, which is definitely more up my alley than the, the Batman Dracula stuff. But um, this was still a lot of fun and uh, looking forward to seeing what we got in store for the next couple months. But you guys can find me on X, Letterbox, and Instagram as J411. And you can find me on Facebook as Joe Fornerato, F-O-R-N-A-R-O-T-T-O. Fantastic. And for myself, you can find my personal accounts on Instagram, X, and Letterboxd at MeCarter89. That's M-E-Carter89. The show, once again, can be found on Facebook, Instagram, and X at TFRBatPod. If you have thoughts or questions, again, you can send those emails to TFRBatPod at gmail.com. We will read those on the show. If you'd like to support the show, the best way to do that is to leave us a rating and review on wherever you listen to your podcasts. And um, if you do leave a written review on Apple Podcasts, we will read those on the show. In fact, I almost forgot before I sign off here, we do have a new review. So let me read that really quickly, Joe, before we completely finish signing off. Awesome. And yeah, I forgot you told me that we had one of those and we keep forgetting to to read it. We do. This one is from Isaac Batfan, and it says this podcast is fire. And he even put a little fire emoji in there. So <laughs> I appreciate I appreciate the theming, Isaac. It says I have loved Batman since I was a baby, and as I write this, I am 16 years old. Love this podcast. Keep it up. P.S. You guys should rank Joker actors if you haven't done so yet. That's a great idea, Isaac. Thank you so much for that five star review. Uh, Joe, any thoughts for Isaac really quick before I finish wrapping up? Um, thank you so much for the review, Isaac. And the fact that you're 16 makes me have hope that we are um, reaching a younger audience. We're not the, the bitter old men that we sometimes think we are. And we're at least somewhat appealing to someone that young. So thank you for listening. <laughs> and uh, that was a very nice review. Thank you. And, and great idea. That would be a really fun episode in the future. It would be. We're going to keep that in the backlog. But again, as Isaac did, if you send those Apple reviews, we will read those on the show. If you're looking for another way to support us, um, we don't ask that you spend a dime on this show, but if you'd like to, we really appreciate that. You can go to redbubble.com and search shop TFR. Find our awesome logos created by Justin Kowalski on all kinds of cool merchandise there. Our theme song was composed by the wonderfully talented Gaurav Ventikeswar, and you can find his work on gbtunes.com. But that is going to do it for this spooky season episode of TFR. Thank you so much. I hope all of you guys have a wonderful and safe Halloween. And until we see you again, make sure you keep that bat signal lit and pointed skyward.
Batman was created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane and is the sole property of Warner Brothers Discovery. The Fire Rises, a Batman podcast, is in no way associated with Warner Brothers Discovery, DC Comics, or DC Studios. The thoughts and opinions of the participants of this show are their own and do not represent the companies that they work for. Thank you for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Happy Halloween! <laughs>